The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Jesse Cole, author of Find Your Yellow Tux, How to Be Successful by Standing Out, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others, as one of the top marketing podcasts. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection in with a message that you're a listener, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. All right, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Jesse Cole to talk about his book, Find Your Yellow Tux, How to Be Successful by Standing Out, published by Lioncrest. Jesse Cole is the founder of Fans First Entertainment and owner of the Savannah Bananas baseball team. His team has welcomed more than 1 million fans to their ballpark and has been featured on MSNBC, CNN, ESPN, and in Entrepreneur Magazine. The Bananas have been awarded Organization of the Year, Business of the Year, and has won the Coastal Plain League Championship in their first year. Fans First Entertainment has been featured on the Inc. 5000 list as one of the fastest-growing companies in America. The Savannah Bananas currently have sold out every game since their first season and have a waiting list in the thousands for tickets. Jesse is an in-demand keynote speaker all over the country sharing the fans' first experience on how to stand out, be different, and create raving fans of both customers and employees. And interesting facts, Jesse proposed to his beautiful wife, Emily, while wearing a yellow tux in front of a sold-out crowd. Fortunately, she said yes. The two later married at the stadium. Jesse, congratulations on Find Your Yellow Tux, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much. I'll tell you, that's pro- my biggest accomplishment is probably my wife saying yes to me in that yellow tuxedo and the fact that we're still married. So I appreciate all the other things, but I'm so glad that she's still with me after all this craziness. Yes, absolutely. And I'm just curious, are you wearing a yellow tux right now? <laughs> of course I am. <laughs> And I think I heard that uh, you have like seven of them. Yes, I do. I actually have eight now. Uh, yes, they get a lot of use during the summers of the season, so I have eight. I have eight of them now. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So completely off topic, but Jesse Cole, do you know what basketball legend Shaquille O'Neal and I have in common? I'm very intrigued to hear this. Well, we have very little in common, except that we both attended Cole High School in San Antonio, Texas. Wow. All right. That is a great fun fact. Yes. Did you have you ever heard of Cole High School? No, it sounds like I need to. You do. Yeah, you need to get out there. <laughs> but I have heard about your book uh, through several means and one of them was uh, in Mike Michalowicz's recent book, Get Different. He wrote about you quite a bit, and I was really interested to see your book was endorsed by a couple of past guests uh, on the podcast like Mike Michalowicz and Joe Calloway. And uh, your book was also mentioned by an author, Daryl Amy, who's the author of The Revenue Growth Engine. During the interview, he says, you've you've got to read this book. So, uh, you know, it finally bubbled up and I was able to get your attention long enough to schedule uh, uh, an interview. And I, I just wanted to read from a couple of places at the beginning of the book and just to set the stage here. And the first section forward of the book written by Dan Miller, the New York Times bestselling author of 48 Days to the Work You Love. And he wrote, Find Your Yellow Tux will give you a behind-the-scenes perspective on what it takes to stand out in a noisy world, move into a stale and diminishing business arena, and incite energy enthusiasm that will be the envy of any rivals. This book is not about baseball. It's about creating a business with customers who are more than 
purchasers of a product or service. This book will show you how to make those customers loyal fans who promote your brand and create new customers in ways that are envied by those frustrated with the latest marketing secrets and social media techniques. You'll be encouraged that when failure is looming, you can choose to see opportunity. You'll be reminded that normal is not a desirable position. Being your unique self can open doors of opportunity, joy, and fulfillment that others miss. You'll see ways to stand out in any industry or profession. And then I want to jump over to page 41, where you write, this book is about you. It's about self-realization. It's about learning how to be successful by standing out. I've included questions at the end of every chapter to help you reach that goal. After all, in order to get where you want to go, first you have to know where you are. These questions aren't just an exercise for fun. They're an important part of the process. They will help you determine whether you're ready to stand out in your business and stand out in life. And then, and this is going to be of great interest to Marketing Book Podcast listeners, you write, because you can never learn too much, I'm also going to share some of my favorite books with you at the end of every chapter. These books and many others have been an invaluable resource for me as a business owner. The truth is, I didn't enjoy reading in school. It would have helped a lot, but nope, I decided it wasn't for me. That all changed once I became the general manager of the Gastonia Grizzlies. If I was going to fix a failing team, I needed to learn a lot and learn it fast. Ever since then, I've been reading several books a week, and I've never looked back. And just to make it easier for the Marketing Book Podcast listeners, at this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com, I'm going to include a link to all 65 of those books. Now, I don't know if you realized you had 65, but <laughs> when you're the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you know, you, you, you do the heavy lifting here. And I figured I, I counted them all up. Clearly, I have nothing else to do, but I wanted to make it easy for everyone, and they are such great books, including a few that have been on the podcast. And then I can't resist, you know, uh, sometimes when you listen to a podcast, you'll have you'll hear the host say, so tell us about yourself. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to read a little bit more about you. You write, I grew up playing baseball in a baseball family in Massachusetts, which is why uh, he doesn't have a Savannah, Georgia accent. I moved to the South on a baseball scholarship where things were going great until my arm decided I wasn't going to pitch anymore. And then you go on to write, anyway, from there, an internship with a ball club in Spartanburg, South Carolina, led to a general manager position with the Gastonia Grizzlies at 23, and with no prior experience, I was in charge of turning their failed fortunes around. Faced with such a massive undertaking, I eventually found my yellow tux. And then you write, I feel... Incredibly fortunate for the world we've created with Fans First Entertainment. However, I don't want to keep this feeling all to myself. I found my yellow tux, and now I want you to find yours. That's what this book is all about. So I guess the only question I need to ask, uh, Jesse Cole, is what does finding your yellow tux mean? <laughs> that was a great background, a lot of things. But yes, uh, find your yellow tux is the one thing that makes you different. And what I believe that I was able to find uh, was that the one thing that I could amplify to 10 that would give me more energy, more passion uh, for what I do, that I can share it with everyone. And, you know, I think you mentioned earlier about Dan Miller talking about normal. You know, I, normal is a four-letter word for us. And I think your yellow tux is getting outside normal, is finding something that may make you uncomfortable at first, um, but that will make you stand out more than anything. So, you know, I can't tell anyone, my yellow tux, obviously, I wear a uniform, and you could say that's your yellow tux, but that is kind of more of a stand, uh, you know, a statement of who I am and what I stand for. That's my uniform. And so I think people can find what that is. And then when they find that, it makes every decision, everything they do easier, and the success just multiplies. Right. Your yellow tux is really the tip of the iceberg. There is so <laughs> much more that, that that represents. Although I have been looking, I've been going to tuxedo stores this week just to, you know. <laughs> I, what I want to do is get one that looks like the one Napoleon Dynamite wore. Uh, yes. Because that was... Yes, and, uh, that was that was looking good. Yeah, that's that's a statement too. Yeah, and I can remember in uh, Mike Michalowicz's book, "Get Different," that talked about you. He just says, you know, different is always better than better. <laughs> and yet, so many businesses think, "Oh, I just want to be better." But no, the the different is really important. But you say yellow tuxing isn't about being different for the sake of being different. Mm -hmm. Explain what you mean there, because I think some people may misunderstand that. 
Yeah, we're not just going to do things that are just crazy that don't make any sense. We know who we are and what we stand for, and we lean in on that. So, you know, with our baseball teams, and again, the context of the book, you know, struggled with our first team. Then my wife and I sleeping on an airbed just, you know, six years ago when we launched Savannah out of money. We had to find out what that unique thing that we had that linked our business with who we are. And for us, it was the fun and the show and the entertainment. And we leaned in so heavy on that with making baseball fun and creating the most fun baseball experience, fan experience, that that was not that was our differentiation. That was a meaningful differentiator. I think it's, it, that's the, the, the key word there, Douglas, is meaningful. So what's that meaningful differentiator? For us, it was the fun leads everything. And when we make baseball fun, you make the fan experience fun, you make every touch point fun, and you, as an owner, wear a yellow tuxedo and throw Dolce & Banana underwear into the crowd during games, and you're a part of the fun, it really makes everything just work. And that's we've been very lucky to find that. Yes. So you talk in the book about the great movie, uh, Jerry Maguire, <laughs> uh, which I just love. And there's a scene at the beginning where he just has this realization. And you talk about mirror moments. Can you talk about what a mirror moment is and, and why that was so important that you <laughs> you went through it and that everyone really does? I believe it's the starting point for not only finding your yellow tux, but the starting point for all innovation. And it's having a mirror moment. And often I think we're so focused on our competitors and looking outside and looking at everyone else, what everyone else is doing. But often we don't turn it inside and look in the mirror and say, hmm, what are those things that either frustrate us, that are the friction points, the things that even upset us about what we're doing or the industry we're in? And for Jerry Maguire, obviously, it was a very vivid moment. The movie opens with him saying, we don't need more clients. We need more individual focus on the clients that we have. And he wrote this powerful memo, sent it to everyone. The whole place cheered and was going nuts for him. And then he proceeded to get fired. And eventually, <laughs> But it wasn't until the end where he found it with you know Cuba Gooding Jr. And uh, he found uh, that great relationship that was meaningful. And then that bit was built on everything else. And a great movie. And it obviously sets the tone for kind of what I found. And similar to what Walt Disney found, you know, Walt sat on a bench at Griffith Park and watched his two daughters on a merry-go-round, and he said, I wish there was something that kids and adults could have fun doing. And that was the inspiration for Disneyland. Mm-hmm. My, mirror, my mirror moment happened when I was coaching, which I finished my baseball career, tore my shoulder. I was like, everyone's like, Jesse, you're going to be a coach. That's just what you're going to do. Your dad's a coach. You're, that's what you're going to do. And I sat there in a dugout in the Cape Cod League with the best players in the country, the best seat in the house. And I was bored out of my mind. And I realized that I loved playing, but I didn't like watching the game as much. And I said, well, what if I created something that everyone would love watching, not just baseball fans? And that was a mirror moment because of the frustration I had with the boredom of the game. And I said, what if I created that something that I would love to watch, something that I would love to be a part of, other people would. And that basically gave that North Star to where we were going. Yes. And uh, there's a, a couple of things in the book where you talk about how it's not a baseball game, what you do is a circus where a baseball game breaks out, right? A hundred percent. And Well, we had to be that way. I mean, we're the lowest level of baseball there is when we started at college summer. In a, in a somewhat yeah. dying sport. In a, that's an understatement. I mean, you look at what's happening. I mean, baseball games are getting longer, slower, and more boring. The viewership's down. The attendance is down dramatically. And games are now the longest they've ever been, over three hours and 12 minutes. Uh, the young, I mean, right now, it's, it's crazy to say it, but you know, we have 250,000 more followers on TikTok than any major league baseball team. <laughs> so like, I mean, we're about to hit a million followers and it's, it's, it's just crazy. But I think it's showing you that the, the, the young, the fun, the circus, the baseball, you need to think differently. And that's kind of what I think all marketing is and thinking about your business. You got to stand out and you got to find out not what can you be a little better, a little faster, a little bit more convenient, a little bit cheaper. What can you be the only? And when we start saying we're going to be the only circus-like baseball game, then all of a sudden, our direction became clear. And have others in the, the league started to follow suit at all? <laughs> they think we're crazy. I mean, when you think of I it, mean, we have a breakdancing first base coach, a senior assistant dance team called the Banana Nanas, a male cheerleading team called the Mananas. We play in kilts. We have players introduce themselves on the mic coming up to bat. I mean, we take it over the top because we come up with 10 ideas every single day of new things we can do on the field. So I don't know. Uh, a lot of the baseball owners are more traditional <laughs> than right. I am. So, so I don't know if they're going to jump, uh, you know, 
headfirst into this. They're just watching and uh, kind of confused at most of it. Right. <laughs> so you're, you've already built this uh, moat around your brand. So I think it's going to be hard to uh, to catch up uh, if, if they do start to. That's great. That's great. Don't go changing. Now, there are so many things in the book that could really be carved in stone, but on page 53 are three questions kind of related to this mirror moment that every person listening should ask and every business should ask. And this could help get you to that North Star. And these questions are worth the cost of the book. These three questions. What frustrates you about your business? What frustrates your customers? What do people say when they complain about your industry? And what do they mean when they say it? It was just brilliant. I mean, just today, I had to fire my HVAC company. I I wasn't yelling, but it was just, they clearly have never thought about what frustrates your customers. And, you know, I said, and then finally the manager calls up and says, oh, I'm sorry to lose you as a customer. He goes, if you come back, I promise you it'll be better. (laughs) All I could say was, I I seriously doubt that, George. (laughs) But, But it's the same sort of thing. Like, what frustrates you about your business? What frustrates your customers? And, and of course, what that means is you have to go talk to them. You have to have an ongoing dialogue. And what do people say when they complain about your industry? Just like we were talking about some of the pitfalls of uh, baseball. So I, I, I really thought that was very uh, important. And if you don't have any more time, you can stop listening now. I'm kidding. No, there's lots more we want to talk about here. A little bit more back to you, though. There's something that's very interesting. You Explain what you mean when you write that you, Jesse Cole, are most stressed when you're not playing to your strengths. Yeah. And I I think, you know, I had to do an audit of my days. When I first started as a GM of the Gastonia Grizzlies back many years ago, um, and the only way you get that job, by the way, as a GM at 23 years old, is it has to be the worst team in the entire country. So that's how I got that job (laughs) at 23 years old. There was $268 in the bank account my first day, three full-time employees. Payroll was on Friday, uh, only 200 fans coming to the games and, uh, you know, $150,000 the team had lost the previous year. So, I couldn't pay myself Doug, for the first three months. So literally three months, I couldn't pay myself as a GM. And what I hear is lots of upside potential, Jack. <laughs> and that's and that's the optimist. And I, and I actually had that. I, I actually had that optimism because I said, you know, boy, we can make something. We can create something. It can't get any worse than where it is. And uh, so, you know, I think looking at you, what what I was doing, I was doing everything in the beginning. I was doing the operations around the stadium. I was doing the finance. I was doing the sponsorship. I was doing the ticket sales. And often at the end of days, even though we, we were trying, we were moving so many things and doing so many things, I was exhausted. And I had more energy than anybody. I was 23, ready to rock and roll. But I realized that I was doing things that didn't give me energy. And it wasn't until I got crystal clear on the days when I come home, six o'clock, whatever, and I'm more fired up and I want to spend more time with friends, family, et cetera that that's what I should be doing. And I think often we say, this is our job. This is what we have to do. It's very simple concept. If you do what gives you energy, you will do it better. And everyone's like, Jesse, you have so much energy. Where do you get it? Well, I just do things that give me energy like mm-hmm. this, as I share with you. So I think you have to look at yourself and, and sometimes do a mirror moment of just your days, yourself. What are the things that are frustrating you in your given days? Now, I'm not saying you can run away from all the things, but lean in on the things that fire you up and give you energy. I mean, we all talk about strengths and weaknesses and what you love and what you don't love. I, I look at energy. Energy is the main metric. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what fires you up? And, uh, you know, when you're done doing it, you want to do more of it. Or what do you do that you lose track of time because you enjoy it so much and you're not watching the clock and saying, oh, my goodness, it's only two o'clock. I got three more hours here. Those are the moments you got to look back and audit and see how you can maximize those. Oh, such great advice. And you even talk in the book about how the employees after a game will go out and play kickball in the field <laughs> until well into the morning. It, it's th- wild. Can I jump on that for a second? It, it, this is wild. We get in early in the morning, and every night, you know, you watch most minor league teams, and I've been a part of it. The game ends, and they're gone. There's not one night that any of our staff leaves before midnight. And the game's over at 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock, but it's because we want to be around each other. We're telling stories, fans' first stories. We're having food. We're having drinks. And, yeah, we play kickball. We have music. We have dance parties. And, you know, I'm, I'm you know, much older now with three kids and my wife, and we're still like, all right, we got to be there for it because it's, it's what we love and what we enjoy, and it mm-hmm. makes you realize why you do what you do. 
Yes. And before we move on, I, I wanted to mention one other thing about this mirror moment. So I, we talked about those three questions, yes. and there was another phrase here on page 65 that just really spoke to me. I mean, it's like, it's like God, this guy knows me. And you write, <laughs> when you know you suck at something, <laughs> or when you know you're unhappy, that's the best possible place to be. My brother, I have been in that situation <laughs> in the past, and I just, you know, maybe it's like, uh, I, I know you're a, a Ryan Holiday fan, yeah. and and uh, I interviewed him a couple times, and I, I remember reading, uh, I think it was um, Ego is the Enemy. I interviewed him about that, and I said, you know, I'm twice your age. And the book was great, but every single chapter, I could think back <laughs> on people I know who you're talking about. Like people, he gives examples of people with out-of-control egos and people who were able to control their egos. And he said, oh man, that's what I, <laughs> that's what I was hoping for. So when I see something like that, I just, it's like I want to say to the young people out there, <laughs> take this guy's advice. He's right. He's right. So yeah. Uh, and now- well, but- it's, it's, it's because I sucked at a lot of things. Let's be honest there. <laughs> I, was, I was really, really bad at a lot of things, but I kept forcing myself to do it until I realized this makes no sense. And so yeah, you, you, have, to, you have to experience it before you can start sharing that, and, and that definitely was true for me. Right, and so you've you've failed and and and, oh. and sucked at things again. That's just why I, I I can relate to you. But here we are talking about it. You know, we we still lived through it, so that's great. And before we started recording, and you started to touch on it there, you said that one of the things that gives you energy is doing podcast interviews. And so I just want to say to. Uh, Mrs. Cole and to your employees and to the Savannah Banana fans, you're welcome. Okay. <laughs> so uh, anything I can do to do to help. But let's move on. There's a great quote on page 89. Again, I, I just think this is like so many of my listeners. It's from Henry Ford. He wrote, "Anyone who stops learning is old, whether at 20 or 80. Anyone who keeps learning is young." Now, Jesse Cole, this is not in your book, but to paraphrase the late, great American lyricist Tupac Shakur, you didn't choose the sponge life. The sponge life chose you. Explain. (laughs) Yes, and you're referring to the section about being a sponge, yes, and and thank you for getting Tupac in this. This was great. Uh, (laughs) Yes. My work is done. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. And I was a guy that didn't, like, in school, you know, I didn't enjoy reading. I didn't love school. You know, there was nothing I was really truly passionate about. But when I got to that situation, starting at 23 years old with a team that was failing that I couldn't pay myself, I was, I had this old new energy and passion to try to figure it out. And the only way I could figure it out was I had to read everything I could. I was, you know, there was no one above me. There was the owner, but the owner wasn't as involved. He was, you know, living in New York and I was down South. So I just started reading every book I could on marketing, sales, customer experience. And most importantly, as I share in the book, P.T. Barnum and Walt Disney, I read every book I could on them. And your input affects your output. And so it's very obvious, you know, everyone, there's all those quotes, the greatest leaders, the greatest readers and all the quotes. Yet, a lot of times people still don't run to reading. And I think because maybe they haven't had the pain that you have as someone that can't pay themselves or someone that literally, you know, when we came to Savannah, we overdrafted our account and we were out of money and we had to sell our house and empty out our savings account. When you have that pain and realize the only way that you can do it is by learning. And you may not have all the resources, but everyone has $10, $15, or I was buying the used $1 book copies that I could get or go to the library because I didn't have much money. That has single-handedly changed my life. And every morning, I, it doesn't stop without me reading. I'm in a couple books at always, every day. And that's, that's how you grow, not only yourself, but your company and the people around you. Uh, the, your organization can only be as uh, successful as your leaders are and they're growing. So your leaders have to be growing if you want your, your organization to be growing as well. And so that's why we pay our people to read. That's why we do book clubs. That's why it's a huge part of our organization now because I saw single-handedly how it made such an impact on myself. And rumor has it, you are a marketing book podcast listener. A hundred percent, as I shared with you before. I mean, there's a couple uh, big ones that we've shared with our team over and over again. Um, and I think that's where you learn when you go deep on certain subjects and you have had some amazing authors on here. So thank you for what you do. Oh, my pleasure. I do. I love doing it. And uh, I don't want to tell you how to run your organization there, Jesse Cole, but uh, you know, there's this thing, this ritual that's sweeping the corporate world. And that's where they get all their employees together in the conference room on Fridays with their lunches, and they listen to the latest episode of the Marketing Group Podcast. So all I need to know is how many 
people are on your team, and I'm going to send all of them stickers and bookmarks, and uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> the swag, the swag. Come on, I'm I'm trying to do, do, do my best, Jesse Cole here. So I, I like it. Yeah. Well, now let's move on, and this. Thing, another thing in, in your book uh, reminded me of the, the experience economy, and I, uh, I, I know you know uh, Jim Gilmore. It's yeah. such a phenomenal book. Explain what you mean when you write that every business, every business is in the entertainment business. Ooh, you, you picked a good one because I get a lot of pushback on this on stage when I'm speaking. And, yeah. You know, they might say, oh, that's not professional. Uh, oh, don't get me going. Oh, you're going to get me going on that now. But yeah, I'll be on stage and I'll be speaking to you know lawyers or, or a car dealership or accountants and all the different groups. And they'll go, we're not in the entertainment business. And then I share with them what the definition of entertain is. Mm. And, and it's to provide enjoyment and to provide amusement. Aren't we all in the entertainment business? Isn't everybody's job to an extent to provide some enjoyment to their life, whether it's solving a problem, whether it is providing that? So Yes. So I believe wholeheartedly we're in the entertainment business. And yes, it's easy to look, you're in a yellow tux, you know, you have the banana nanas and your circus like baseball game and you're doing all those stuff. But whatever you're doing, what I try to challenge a business is to look at themselves as they're hosting a party. And if you're hosting, you're all saying, oh, I'm entertaining some friends tonight. I'm entertaining some people at the house. If you're hosting a party, what you do is you will map often. If you do a good one, you'll map the experience. When they come in, you know, we're going to have some hors d'oeuvres. We'll have drinks. Then the main entree is going to come. Then we're going to do this. We're going to do that. If you're a great host, you will entertain the entire way through. And what we've learned to do is entertain every step of the way for our fans. And we failed this beginning. But now, as soon as you buy a ticket, you get an entertaining video. You get a thank you call. You get a playlist of music to listen to on the way to the games, including can't stop the peeling. It's all about <laughs> entertaining every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And I ch- and I would challenge that. Put yourself in the customer's shoes. Go back to that mirror moment. What frustrates a customer? Often it is you buy something and you don't hear from them again. You might get the product, but you don't actually entertain on the steps of the process. And that's where we've gone all in, especially the last few years. Mm. There's a great line on page 114. Again, you write, why do people really buy from you? Mm. It's always more than the product. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you. Well, and I'll say that too. Yeah, obviously it's it's the feeling, it's the emotion, it's how you make them feel. But you mentioned earlier about professional. Uh, I want to jump on that because I, I don't know anybody, you can correct me wrong, maybe you've met someone that, you know, someone comes home at the end of the day, tells their spouse, oh, honey, I met the most professional person today. He was <laughs> yeah. just so professional. Everything he did was professional. Everyone talks about being professional. I think people want unique, memorable, fun. They want different. That's the stories that people share. That's what people get excited about. It's not professional. Yes, do you have to be professional in sense in hospitals and certain fields? Yes, but we want the fun, unique, and different. So I am so against people saying we have to be professional. I don't think you have to be professional. I think that's a cop-out to staying the same way as everyone else is. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of, you know, in the book, there's one section where you talked about how entrepreneurs are so reluctant to want to promote themselves. Mm. Uh, it just it seems like there's a lot, not just entrepreneurs. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it, it, there, there's, there are reasons going back to our cave dwelling ancestors <laughs> as to why they don't want to be different. There are certain reasons why we've evolved as a species mm. by not wanting to be different. So it seems counterintuitive, but it really, really works well. I, th- I think you have something great there is about the promoting himself. That's one of the biggest thing that holds people back because they think it's about them. When I wear a yellow tuxedo, and yes, when I'm in an airport and I get these weird looks and you know, I used to get stopped at TSA every time. I'm like, really? Would I dress like this if I was going to do something crazy? But anyways, people look at me like I'm this whole other thing. Like, oh, it's all about you. You're trying to... It's a bigger cause. So I, I realize why I do this it's because I believe in so much what we do and having fun and bringing people together to have memories and moments they've never had before. It is the first step. And I believe attention beats marketing 1000% of the time. Mm. Uh, it, it attracts attention to bring people into our cause on why we do it. And if you aren't able to self-promote, either A, you don't believe in what you're doing enough to be able to scream it on top of the mountaintops, or B, you continue to think it's about you and it's not about you. It's about something bigger. And so anybody that says they, they, they don't want to self-promote, I think you need to look internally on why is that? Is it because you're not a part of something you believe in enough? Or do you really still think it's about you and it's not about something much bigger? Yes. So when you go through TSA, have you ever been frisked? 
before I got the pre-check, I used to get frisked every time, and people would take pictures of this crazy guy in a full yellow tuxedo and top hat getting frisked. A hundred percent. Because I, I really, I have been frisked by TSA, and I, I kind of like it. <laughs> you would go there. Yeah. So I, I now I try to figure out how to get uh, frisked, but makes sense. Yeah, but you know, there's actually a benefit to you and your organization. And I want you to explain what you mean when you write that when you do things different, you do them better. What's going on there? (laughs) When you're doing things that haven't been done before that are different, you're doing something often for the first time in a unique sense, which therefore often for people that are watching is better than the normal thing. So give me an example. That, that, That is our framework for everything. What's the normal way a hitter could be introduced coming to the bat? Oh, well, the, the announcer. Next up. Hitter. Yeah, next <laughs> up. Or what if you what what if we had a guy with a microphone coming to bat now batting for the bananas from UNCG alum, <laughs> myself, Bill Leroy. And all of a sudden, people are like, what is happening there? And, and give you an example, you know, this past summer, we were so fortunate. We had 75 million views of our videos. You know, we gained about 750,000 followers this past year. And ESPN did a special and all these things that makes me pinch myself from where we were six years ago. They didn't cover any of the home runs, the doubles, the strikeouts. <laughs> they didn't cover any of that. They covered the craziness. They covered the fact that we're playing banana ball now, a game where fans can catch a foul ball for an out. And it's a two-hour time game. It's a crazy, crazy game. They cover the player introducing themselves. They cover our players that are mic'd up, that are predicting the next play that's going to happen. You know, they, they cover the, the pitcher coming to the mound on a lawnmower instead of just running to the mound the normal way. They cover our guy doing full ballet while he's coaching first, an unbelievable ballet performance while coaching first. That's what they cover. They cover the guy that's in stilts, the world's tallest batter that's 10 foot tall in stilts hitting in a baseball game. And yes, those seem like all hijinks and stunts, but they are part of our ecosystem of what we're trying to create and be the most fun team in baseball. When you know your meaningful differentiator, you will do anything that's different because it fits with what you're trying to accomplish. That is better than better. There's no reason why Barstool Sports should call one of our players the future face of baseball and we're not in Major League Baseball at all. It's because he's doing things that other players aren't doing, mm. which is which is better. There is a segment on MSNBC that uh, about the Savannah Bananas and you, and I'm going to include that uh, on this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And there's also another video that I've watched. I know it sounds like I'm stalking you, but I know that's what you want. <laughs> there's one where the batter, you had a batter go, you had him mic'd up, and he went up and he switched hit. Every single pitch, he would bat on the right, and then he would bat on the left. Mm. You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, that was uh, we have impractical bananas, like impractical jokers. So we mic up the players, and they have to dare the other players to do certain things in a game that you would never do before. And that was that was one of them. Now, did the the other team obviously they didn't know he was going to do that? The pitcher didn't know. No, 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 (laughs) none of the the fans. I didn't even know they were going to do that. I know we have like a rough plan, but the pitcher came up with that in the in the uh, bullpen and just started telling like I was one we're walking through the, the crowd one game and I'm looking over and our first baseman has no shirt on and he's playing with a cowboy hat and I'm like what is going on and then I see our pitcher in the bullpen mic'd up telling him to do that and so you never know even I'm surprised every night when, when we had our golf batter come up and literally had a caddy go up with our batter and had you know the caddy outfit he had a range finder and had the, all the bats in a in a golf bag and handed him the bat and then started looking out i was like i didn't know it was going to happen when it happened and it's it's just that's what makes me a fan of what we're doing and i think that's a big thing too are you a fan of what you are doing uh, you have, uh, being a fan is the highest level of customer there is. And so I catch myself being a fan, like saying, I can't believe we just did that on the field. <laughs> that's great. That's great. So Jesse, you've got a whole chapter on the importance of simplification. And this is particularly relevant to anyone in marketing or, or, or sales. Talk about the importance of keeping things simple. And I guess, what is it that makes organizations want to complicate their message so mm. much? Actually, it's interesting. I've read uh, numerous books after uh, I, I, you know, wrote this book that have really made an impact on that even more so. You know, reading the book Focus by Al Rees and The One Thing, and uh, so many great books that have made an impact on that. But yeah, I, I think so many companies, you, you make things more difficult than they are. You look at all the opportunities, the endless opportunities that you can jump in. And, you know, we did the same thing and we've simplified dramatically even more since, uh, you know, now we just have one team, the Savannah Bananas. But more than that, 
the name of our company before Douglas was Team Colon Associates. That sounds like a terrible law firm or accounting office. Like that was the name of our company. What was it called? Team Colon Associates. Like what a what a terrible name. And so what I realized that that wasn't clear on who we are, what we stood for. And so I said, well, what what are we about? We're about the fans. Fans first. So we named our company Fans First Entertainment. And our mission, fans first, entertain always. And every question we ask ourselves is, is it fans first? You know, most teams, most companies, most businesses, they have conversations on how do they bring in more revenue, how do they bring in more sales? Mm -hmm. We have conversations on how do we bring in more fans? How do we, more importantly, how do we create more fans? And so we simplified into, you know, two words, fans first. And when we're able to do that, it makes every decision easier. Mm-hmm. So, and I, so I think for, for companies and even people in your life, like, no, like, what is that you are targeting? What is that going after? And don't try to continue to add, add, add. Stay in your lane in the sense of something that is different, something is unique. And I know be, by being in a lane of fans first and entertaining always and making it a circus that we were going to be different, but able to stay focused on that simple, simple metric that we think makes the biggest impact. Yes. And it operationalizes at the smallest level uh, what people should be doing, how they should be making decisions throughout the day. 100%. Well, I, I think the biggest thing we learned this past summer was, uh, you know, we're fans first, but what is that biggest metric inside fans first and entertaining always that, that moves the needle most? And it's anything that we show that makes baseball fun. And it's been on our website since day one for the bananas. We make baseball fun. So every single piece of content we ask ourselves with that lens, does it make baseball fun? And that point this summer, we had more pro- more growth than we've ever had because we were able to simplify what we were trying to do. Yeah, let's talk some more about fun. Uh, you have a great <laughs> quote from Richard Branson. Uh, it's, uh, fun is one of the most important and underrated ingredients in any successful venture. So t- let's talk some more about the benefit of fun and actually how do you make it more of a priority in your business? And I guess this even goes back to, I, I can just envision people sitting in a conference room, like a CEO or something with his arms crossed, her arms crossed, saying, no, we're professional. <laughs> we, fun is not professional. But yeah, talk about this fun. And, and it, it, you actually have to engineer it. 100%. And, and I challenge anybody. You can't is, say, go have fun. Yeah, go ahead. Well, fun is such a soft word. It's like, oh, fun. You know, yeah, we have fun. We have fun. It's like fun and love. Like you don't want, you don't talk about in business, even though they're probably the most two most important ingredients in a successful business, and more importantly, in fulfillment in your people. And so, fun. I challenge anyone today. Go, if you're in a hall, we'll see what it is with COVID. But if go into your office, <laughs> I, I was like, oh, no, I'm in my office. It's my bedroom. You know. All right. Well, if you are around people, go around and, and pay attention to how much laughter is there. Yes. So. For instance, we'll finish this pie. I'm going to go into, uh, we've now expanded. We had four full-time employees. We have now 25 full-time employees. So our abandoned storage building that we took over six years ago where the former team cut the phone line, cut the internet lines, it's now a storage building that's just packed to the gills with people. Um, but I'll, I'll go into watch ours, our lobby originally. Now we have eight people. It's our creative. And I, a creative group. It's all our marketing, videographers, or even our two professional players that we hired full-time that are in us. I guarantee within one minute of me walking in there, there will be laughter. And it's not because, you know, it's just, oh, we have people that are fun. Not because of you. Yeah, it has nothing to do with me. What what it has to do with, you know, for us, it's it's everything starts with uh, the ideas, the ideas, the things that we can do. We've ripped off red tape, ripped out all the red tape. So every day we're talking about ideas and fun things. Oh, we could do that. We could do that. And we're sharing videos. And we're, we always have music. I learned that from Vegas. There's always music being played at all times. It is to some extent, a distraction world. However, the culture is so good that people know when to put their headphones on and get to work, but also we're feeding off each other. So I would question, it's not just putting in a foosball table and putting a ping pong table and saying bean bags and say, have fun. It's, 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 it's looking it's, at you startups. Yeah. Looking at you startups, <laughs> you know, putting all that in. It's, it's, it's so hard to discuss and so hard to put in because obviously there's different businesses in different fields, but how often are you talking about new fun ideas and things you can do for your customers or your people or anybody you interact with? 
Every day we're talking about new fun videos we can put out, new fun. We spent three hours yesterday recording a ticket confirmation video for when people buy tickets to our world tour. We had the banana nanas here, the mananas. There were 30 people. We spent three hours and we were laughing hysterically coming up with this over-the-top celebration video. People were having the time of their life and then we show it off to each other. We laugh even more and now we're going to put it out in the world. And that sounds crazy. The pub, it's not public sharing. It's just for the you know 50,000 people that buy tickets, but they're going to see it and it hopefully makes them laugh, then they share it, and then we get that feedback over and over again from people saying, we love what you did, here it is, and it wants us to do it again, and we come up with what's the next idea we can do. So how often are you coming up with ideas that are a little different, that are a little fun? Is your voicemail the same as everyone else? Is your hold music the same as everyone else? Are your out-of-office replies? We channel, we have contests who has the most funniest out-of-office out replies when we're out of office for the holidays. We do all that stuff because it brings fun into organization, and we celebrate it. Yes, and it's all very shareable. You talk about yes. this. I got the impression that when you all are coming up with these ideas, and did you call it the idea palooza? Idea palooza. Yeah. We have them almost every day. They used to be monthly. Now we have them every day in little pockets of groups in our team. Love yeah. it. And, and there's yeah. even a part where you say somebody comes with a bad idea, and you actually say, how can we make it even worse? Oh, 100%. <laughs> oh, I love bad ideas. I mean, I mean, yeah, I came up with a terrible idea the other day. I didn't realize it. I hope it wasn't being interviewed on the Marketing Book No, podcast. that wasn't it. You know, you know I had a bad idea the other day and you know we had the, the bathrooms and you know they have the the smaller urinals and I said can we paint it green and have a sign that says for bananas that aren't quite ripe and and I thought that would be that would be funny but then our, our team referred to me and said Jesse those are actually for wheelchair uh they're, I didn't, they're not just for kids so uh, that was a bad idea that we won't do but there's ways to turn that to another level but you can all cut all that Douglas I'm just saying that it's part of the idea central <laughs> oh uh, no it's it's <laughs> it's going out and it's, it's in but but yeah think of think of the ideas and then and bring them together and just talk about them and, and have fun with them and, and, and imagine what you can do I mean that's what's so much fun for us is we just think of the things that we can actually do. Yes. So let me ask you about a couple of, I don't know, vocabulary words or, or concepts that were in the book that kept coming up again and again. One of them was this idea of small bets. Mm. What, what are small bets and how has that helped you? So I believe to create raving fans, there's actually five E's. And I share this in our next book, but one of the most important E's to creating raving fans is experimenting constantly. And Jeff Bezos said, our success is a direct function of how many experiments we do per year, per month, per week, per day. Mm. Small bets are experiments. Often we're too afraid to, we think too much, we talk about it too much, and we don't come up and just try things. So I'll give you an example. Every game, we do four brand new live promotions we've never done in front of a crowd ever before. That's a uh, promotion during the game, a pregame promotion, a new hitter entrance, and a new scoring celebration. We're actually making that five this year because we're going to add a new dugout shenanigans like players getting manicures and pedicures in the dugouts and hibachi chefs in the dugouts. And we're going to add another layer to that to have five brand new promotions that we've never done before. Most of them won't work. I mean, the horse head race that we did where I put kids in horse heads and they couldn't see where they were going. They were on all fours. One ended up in right field. One went against the wall. One was on the mound. The game was delayed for three minutes. Our fans and staff said that it was sounds the pretty thing. funny to me. But they I'm... said it was the funniest thing they've ever seen. I was <laughs> I was freaking out. I was like, "Get off the field! Come on, take your horse heads off! Let's go!" Um, you know, when we did the living pinata and we put an intern in a turtle costume, we had kids with you know mini plastic bats hitting them and throwing candy. Not a great idea. Very funny, but not a great idea. A lot of these don't work that well. But however, it's what do you learn from those that gets you to create something even better? And I always share this, but Jeff Bezos and Amazon, they came up with a Fire Phone, an absolute huge failure, $200 million failure. However, the technology in the Fire Phone helped them build the Amazon Echo and Alexa. So how do we keep coming to bat, taking those small bets, testing and trying, because that's where we get the, the greatest learning is from those experiments. Yes, experiments. There's a chapter on the what you call the long game, and... Explain, I want to quote from that. Explain what you mean when you write, playing the short game usually hurts in the long run. Short game is generally profit-focused or you-focused. So I believe, you know, focus on long-term fans over short-term profits. Most hmm. companies, they're saying, oh, if we do this, we can make more money. So to give an example, um, you know, we have no ticket fees, no convenient fees on our tickets, which are the most inconvenient fee there is. There is no parking fees. Um, even some teams pay, have, have fans pay insurance on their tickets, and they don't. It's outrageous. We have we we take care of the sales tax. 
A $20 all-inclusive ticket that includes all your burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches, soda, water, popcorn, everything is $20 flat. No parking, no extra fees, none. That short-term, we threw on a $1 ticket fee, a $2 ticket fee, a $5 parking. We would make millions. But that's not how you create fans. Mm -hmm. The reason we eliminate all of our shipping on our merchandise domestic free shipping we throw a free koozie a free decal a custom yellow box with a delivered fresh stamp and a, a letter that says this has been sprinkled with potassium and we call every single person that buys merchandise and give them a thank you call that is not a smart short-term game in fact it's completely unscalable um, and, and, and but as you know we've well we've hired five more merchandise people so as it become a seven-figure business we're trying to figure it out but it's hard however that's the long game we eliminated sponsorship from our stadium Literally no ads at our entire stadium. Threw away hundreds of thousands of dollars two weeks before the pandemic started. Not a good short-term game. In fact, a terrible business model. However, now our merchandise and our ticket waitlist is over 12,000 and we're building fans. And so I, I challenge people, have the question, have the conversation, not how can we bring in more revenue? How do you create more fans? If you create more fans, the revenue will take care of itself. Ah, uh, potassium, little banana humor there. I see what you did there. Yeah. Actually, you're, uh, I think in the book you said your mascot is named Split, the king of potassium, right? You better, you better believe it. Oh, yeah, of man. course. And that's why the banana nanas and the mananas, and you'll keep going. We have a magician. You know, we'll keep, we, we, we have fun with the, the theme. We How can do. you not become a fan of the Savannah bananas <laughs> after reading this book? Before we started recording, I was, we were talking about how I, one of my acquaintances here where I live in Virginia is, uh, Hank Morgan, who has the one of your competitors, mm, yeah. the Peninsula Pilots. Uh, so I hope he's not listening to this. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it, so I'm a fan of the Peninsula Pilots too. Okay, so I'm a uniter, not a divider. <laughs> well, well, we have a we, we have a lot of people that I say that aren't fans of us, and we're okay with that. Oh, that's right. And I today I watched the video of you all reading these really mean tweets. <laughs> About your name, the name of your team. A hundred percent. And even today, we have even more. I mean, we lose season ticket holders every year because they say it's become too much of a circus. And, you know, I think what great marketing is, what great... They uh, say that like it's a bad thing. Oh, yeah. I, I love it. We, when, we, when we had our Bananas uh, Unpeeled podcast, we actually, every week, we did the review of the week, but we only read, read bad reviews. <laughs> so we read every bad review of someone saying, it's so loud. There's just constant music. There's so many things going on. It's like you're a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory at a circus. I'm like, perfect. That's exactly who we are. And great marketing is knowing who you are not for. And we are not for baseball traditionalists. So there are people that certainly aren't fans of us, and we are good with that. Yeah, all the things that I heard on the one particular video I watched where you, your staff read these mean tweets, mm. I was waiting for some of them to also have, and get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, exactly. So earlier we talked about mirror moments. I just want to ask one, one other one about this all-in moment. And these are probably two of the most frightening things, but they could be the, the biggest steps. It, it, what did, You say all-in moments have a way of presenting themselves when it's time. Can you talk about what an all-in moment is and how you know you might be in one? Well, if I can go back to for us, it was January 15th, 2016, 4.45 p.m. on a Friday. Emily and I are at uh, my college roommate's wedding, and we get the call that we just overdrafted our account, and we're completely out of money, and we're about to miss payroll. And I remember driving back and she turned to me and said, Jesse, we have no other options. We have to sell our house. And so we had our dream house in Charlotte. We sold our house and we found a dump down in uh, Savannah that was on the market for four years. No one wanted it. In fact, I walked in and said, nope, no way. Walked immediately out. And so we bought that. And, yeah. Uh, well, I, once again, Emily kind of intervened, as I, as 100%, I recall. 100%. And, and, and that was, if you talk about an all-in moment, and I remember vividly two weeks later and we're going grocery shopping and... Emily's like, Jesse, all we have is $30 for the week. And so we had to get food, which is not even real food. I mean, it was, it was hard. But looking back on it, it, it was so easy to see. That was, that was what we were going to do. We believed in it. It just we, had, we hadn't got enough people to believe in it yet. And I think by doing so many small bets previously with our former team and testing out the grandma beauty pageants and the flatulence fun nights and the salute to underwear nights and all the stuff that we tried, we knew that if we get people out to see it, it would work. And so after all the small bets and we were out of money, no other options, it was clear. Hey, this is it. This is our all-in moment. We're selling our house. We're emptying everything we have uh, into the team. We're going to go. We're going to make it happen. So I think you have to get the small bets and the experiments as testers to see, is can this possibly work? And then when you see that and the going gets tough, you know, if you really believe in it, 
then it's time to go all in. And that, that's what it worked for us. Mm, terrific. And when I read in the book about flatulence fun night, Jesse Cole, you had me at flatulence fun. Um, <laughs> now, you all did that, but it didn't work too well. Oh no! Well, it was <laughs> maybe four hundred people showed up. I mean, we gave. Well, them- I would have been one of the four hundred. Yeah, to show up. maybe the well, maybe the four, and that was with our first team in Gastonia. But yeah, we gave away whoopee cushions, had a bean burrito contest on the field, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, we didn't work as well as we hoped, but uh, it, you either have a success or you have a story, and that was a great story. Right, and you learned something. But 100%. there were so many things in the book where, and this is not why you wrote it, but. <clears throat> Anyone who has the same life goal that I do, which is you're only young once, but you can be immature forever, it, it really spoke to me. So th- that was great. It's not it's not taking yourself too seriously. When you sent me some of the, the, the obviously ridiculous things that I wrote about in the book, it's not taking yourself too seriously. I, I, think, <laughs> I think often we take ourselves too seriously. Well, we can't act like that. We can't act like that. I'm like, I'm a guy that wears a yellow tuxedo and throws, like I said, Dolce and banana underwear into the crowd like – you know, you can have fun and it, it's okay. It's refreshing. <laughs> right. People need it in their life, especially now. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I just want to ask one other uh, thing about the book. And the book is really very inspirational. And at the towards the end, you talk about reinvention and you really have to make reinvention part of your DNA and uh, for, for listeners individually as well as for their, their organization. And there was one line there. That I, 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 now I'm not joking about this part. This is the only thing I'm not joking about. And that's where you wrote, nothing weighs heavier on my mind than the idea of becoming irrelevant. And I thought, I even wrote, this is why I started the podcast. And, and you know, it was back, again, not to make it about me, but, uh, you know, I came from an advertising background and maybe 10 years ago, I noticed this whole wonderful advertising gravy train was coming to a stop. It was a shadow of its former self. And I, I started to feel really irrelevant, like I was growing dinosaur scales. I mean, what what the heck was going on? I was having to bring these website guys to meetings with <laughs> advertising clients. And I, it really, really bothered me. And so I started reading. I went back to the books, just like you did. And then I loved listening to podcasts, and particularly marketing podcasts, and uh, where authors were being interviewed. And I started it. And because I'm not doing this for a living. I'm doing it because I so disliked feeling like I was becoming irrelevant. Now, there, you know, it's a, it's an ongoing challenge. But talk about why reinvention is is so important. And and I would argue the velocity of reinvention is only going to be picking up. A hundred percent. And yeah, it, it's been a mindset that's kind of driven us. Whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And I think that's been kind of the guiding light for the the reinvention. And, you know, the irrelevance that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm an only child. My, you know, my parents got divorced when I was a kid. My mother had a drug problem. My dad worked all the time. I was trying to just make my dad proud and be relevant first in my dad's life. And that has kind of stayed with me. And I'm still a kid trying to make my dad proud now, trying to make my kids proud. And I think to me, that has a lot to do with relevance. Relevance, dry, it's not just about, you know, relevance for, you know, you're going to be relevant to be relevant purpose, but it's, it's to look at the purpose behind it and the fulfillment behind it. I believe if you're relevant, you are making a big impact and you're doing something that matters. And so that's what drives my desire to create new things every day, to share them with the world and make a difference. It's that and, you know, the fear of settling, you know, I don't want to be irrelevant. I don't want to settle. I want to keep moving and keep making a difference. So that's that's my internal motivation. It has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with any of those outside. It's that internal motivation. And I think if everyone finds that or, or lights that fire, it makes it very easy to put the effort and the work into you know, doing things that aren't normal, doing things that are different, doing things that are uh, reimagining an industry and reinventing because it's that energy and that force behind it that will push you to think and outthink and not just outspend, which a lot of the big companies do. Oh, think. Yes, yes. It's about the the size of your brain, not so much about the size of your wallet these days. 100%. So if readers took only one thing away from this book, what would you hope it would be? The concept of the book is to find that one thing that makes you different and amplify it by 10. The step that I would say to do that is to today write down your energy list. Just write down the things that give you energy in a given day. And then this week, do an energy audit. How many of those times are you doing it? What does your day look like on your calendar? And if you start doing that and flowing towards your energy state, you will find that thing that makes you different 
much faster than any anything else. And as we mentioned earlier, my my three things, it's creating, sharing, and growing. And if I'm creating, coming up with ideas in the morning, coming up with videos, promoting, sharing on a stage, on our field in front of a sold out crowd, on the mic, or growing, reading, listening to this podcast, listening to another podcast, if I'm doing any of those, I am fired up, sharing with our team, growing with our team, and all that. It's I am on top of my game and it makes everything else easier. So I would challenge you to find uh, what that energy is for you and just go all in on it. That is such great advice. Write down your energy list. Oh, that's, excuse me. I'm going to do that right now. No, I, <laughs> I'm going to do it in a few minutes, but that is so true. And I think it's, it's, it's like that idea has been knocking on the door <laughs> for a long time. And it actually probably helps uh, reveal why we're already doing the things that we, we do. So, well, Jesse, looking back, uh, we've talked so much about all these books. And like I said, I'm going to include links to all the 65 <laughs> that are listed at the end of each chapter. Um, what, books have most inspired your your working career it's almost like what were some of the books that were milestones on the mm-hmm. on your career journey all right this is a good one so and I, i'll say you joke about the 65 books i got an email last week you said jesse your book was the most expensive book i've ever bought i go it was 15 dollars. they go no i had to buy the other 50 books as well with it. so <laughs> you're the most expensive book ever so oh i hear uh, that from listeners they say you know <laughs> I was fine until I started listening to your show, and now I'm buying all these books, and my spouse is yelling at me. Yeah, uh, sorry, I I, I'm sorry. I apologize I to the listener. So, so the chance of me just giving one book here is going to be very difficult because I started reading, you know, intensely when I was 23. But uh, the big, the big ones that moved the needle for me was uh, first reading Marketing Outrageously by John Spolstra. Um, that was the first one inside the industry that I learned, and then I went heavy outside the industry and how to be like Walt. Uh, Walt Disney book with Pat Williams, and uh, there's a customer born every minute um, by uh, uh, the book about P.T. Barnum by Joe Vitale. Those were the first few, and then it really leaned down on people. And I didn't talk much about that, but everything goes back. Our biggest fans are our own people, the people that show up to work every day, and we go in on that. And um, The Carpenter by John Gordon, Love, Serve, and Care, uh, great concept there. And then Everybody Matters by Bob Chapman really made an impact early in my career uh, to where I am now. Oh, terrific. Well, I look forward to I haven't I don't think I've read any of those. I, I, you know, I, th- I really you talk in the book quite a bit about PT Barnum. Yes. And it really uh, kindled an interest in wanting to pick up it's a book and, and read more uh, about him. Fascinating. Yes. And, and misunderstood, so misunderstood. You know, he never said there's a sucker born every minute. Uh, you know, he was one of the most brilliant business mind and he said the noblest art is that of making others happy. And that was what actually drove him and so uh, I think there's so much to learn from PT Barnum. Yes. So so are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading or writing? <laughs> Tell us about the one you're working on. <laughs> yes. Well, first I'll start. The, the one that I just read that has made an impact that I'm sharing with everyone is The Gap and the Gain by uh, Dr. Benjamin Hardy and Dan Sullivan. And it's the, the book for high achievers and happiness. And it's brilliant. It's about being on being here and not being there. Love it. I'm sharing oh, it a lot wow. during Christmas time. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant book. The, uh, and then the one you're referencing, uh, yeah, now uh, a couple of years in the making, coming out in May, is uh, Fans First, Change the Game, Break the Rules, and Create an Unforgettable Experience. And as I referenced earlier, sharing the five E's on how to create raving fans and outrageous stories. We're doing things in the book that we've never done in any other book. It's it's wild. It's different. It's unique. And I think it's going to be a really fun read. Oh, terrific. Well, listen, at marketingbookpodcast.com, as I've mentioned on this episode's website page, we're going to include links to everything linkable, including those 65 <laughs> books, uh, additional, all you know, your your website, the, the team's website, your LinkedIn profile, your Twitter account. And what I want the listeners to do is, uh, and no, I'm not asking for a five-star review on uh, iTunes, although, you know, happy to send you some stuff for doing that. Stickers bookmarks, uh, like I'm going to send to the Savannah Bananas. And I'm not asking you to send me a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon, although some listeners have done that. What I do want you to do is reach out to Jesse Cole. And in your book, you've even got your email address. So I'm going to include links. So if you all could please reach out to Jesse and thank him for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank him for putting up with these really stupid jokes. 
ask him questions, do something. But here's my real motivation. Jesse has done hundreds and hundreds of podcast interviews. And now when he's getting ready to launch this new book, he's going to be thinking, all right, which one should I go back to? Please make him feel that this has been, you know, a pretty good use of his time by letting some letting him know that you heard the interview. And if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, like uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The book is Find Your Yellow Tux, How to Be Successful by Standing Out. The author is Jesse Cole. Jesse, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate you, my friend. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker Jim Rohn, who said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.